All right, I just, uh, I just got chuckled because I was picturing Colby jumping out of bed, running to the bathroom mirror, and uh, every, every morning he looks and is saddened to not see any facial hair, and every morning I look in the mirror and don't see any head hair, so, you know, <laughs> that's how it works. Life is like that sometimes, you know. Anyway, but this is not, this is an orange tie, but I'm not dressing up like a Clemson fan for Halloween. I know some of y'all are concerned by that, but it is uh, Reformation Day as also, as Colby mentioned, and scholars debate on whether or not when Martin Luther took his 95 grievances called theses and, and, and put them against the uh, front door of the church, which was kind of like the bulletin board, uh, and he also sent it to the archbishop as well. Uh, they, they debate on whether or not he did that on Old Hallow's Eve to kind of get the uh, uh, attention of culture, but he did so nevertheless. Today would be kind of like if the Southern Baptist Convention had ultimate authority and ultimate power over our lives. Uh, a well-known pastor going to their Facebook page and putting 95 reasons like that they are corrupt. That would be kind of similar to what it would be like, uh, and, and he certainly could have lost his life with it. And so that uh, public, very private also and public display of loyalty to God's uh, word, loyalty to the gospel, loyalty to Christ, because the Catholic Church in 1517 was extremely corrupt. And uh, you could buy prayers, you could, you could pay uh, the, the monks and the priests money, and they would pray for your dead relatives that they would go to heaven. Things like that were happening, and, and a lot of corruption. And, and because of his loyalty to the gospel, because of his loyalty to the church, uh, he was burdened to, to uh, kind of stick his neck out there. Uh, for his loyalty to the gospel. Today we're talking about loyal Christian friendships today. As we look at David and Jonathan, we have a lot to read, so I'm just going to go ahead and take us to the Lord in prayer today. Heavenly Father, well, we do thank you for just who you are, Lord. We thank you for uh, that even in the dark times of the 1500s, for hundreds of years, Lord, the church was held captive to all sorts of superstitions, all sorts of evil, all sorts of, uh, of just things that, that your people were unaware of. Yet there was always a remnant. And today, today there is a remnant of believers across the world who truly follow you, who truly believe in the gospel and understand the cost of following Christ. Father, there's also a very real Loyalty, Lord, in our Christian friendships, our Christian brotherhood and sisterhood and family. Lord, show us today through the relationship of David and Jonathan how we can strengthen our Christian friendships and also understand that there might be a cost in following Christ and being loyal to one another, yet that cost is worth it. Father, I pray that you speak through me today, Lord, and that, uh, that my words are yours today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you today five realities, five realities of loyal Christian friendships, five realities of loyal Christian friendships. First, loyal Christian friendships can be tested, and many times often are. Loyal Christian friendships can be tested. Verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father? 
that he seeks my life. Now, multiple attacks Saul has put on David's life now. Several different ways he's tried to kill him. He's tried to pin him to a wall with a javelin multiple times. He's tried to come to his house and kill him in his sleep. He's tried to do all these things, and he has fleed with the help of his wife, Saul's daughter. He has fleed, and he's gone down to Ramah. He saw Samuel, and then he fled, and now he is, is before Jonathan, Saul's son, who he has a very special friendship, covenant relationship with. And he comes to him, and he expresses his exasperation and his feelings toward this situation. Now, they had made a covenant of loyalty between each other. And this was more than, than just best friends. They were bound to each other by a covenant between themselves and God. And he says, what is my sin? Now, why is he trying to, to, to kill me, to seek my life? And verse 2, Jonathan said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. So Jonathan promises David that he, he won't die, that if any, there's any plan out there, that Jonathan would know about it. So he, he lets him know this. Now, the reason that Saul doesn't hide his plans from his son is because his son is, is Jonathan. Verse 3. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David says, Listen, I understand you have a great relationship with your father, but he knows we're close. And he might not tell you things. Because I am literally on death's door. He is trying to kill me. So he proposes a plan that was based on one of their Jewish holidays and festivals, verse 5. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at a table with the king. But let me go that I might hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. Now the Jews operated on a lunar calendar. And so the beginning of each new month, was the, when there was a new moon. And of course, a new moon looks very faint, and you may only see a little sliver of it in the sky. And, and through the Old Testament laws and feasts and festivals, the Jews were commanded to, to blow a trumpet at this feast, thanking God for another new month to live. And this would have been a feast, actually, with just a few people present, so David would certainly be missed. So he says in verse 6, If your father misses me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. David's saying that you'll be able to tell how your father feels about me truly when you tell him why I'm not at the feast. Because it'll catch him by surprise. He won't be, he'll, be, he'll have an emotional reaction. There's no way he can fake it. If he's like, okay, great, David deserves some time off, then that's good. But if he's upset, then you know he still wants to harm me. So David and Jonathan had this back and forth about how dangerous this situation really is. So he says, verse 8, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. 
But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, no, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? How will I know, he says, if he's upset? Who's going to tell me this at dinner? I'm not going to be there. How will I know if he is upset? How am I going to get that message? Jonathan, verse 11, said to David, come, let's go out into the field. So they both went out into the field to devise a plan. Again, the issue is this. If Saul's reaction about David missing dinner means that he is still after David, how will Jonathan let David know this information? This becomes a test of their friendship because it involved family matters and complicated matters. And if you have a loyal Christian friendship, there can be times where it will be tested. You know, a couple of my best friends are pastors. They live in, in other cities. We don't get to see each other very much. They're both really busy, as most pastors are. One is at a kind of fairly large church in terms of attendance and, and has a lot of meetings. He's always traveling, doing a lot of things. And, but if I call him on the phone nine times out of ten, he's going to answer. I don't call him all the time, but, you know, I don't call him every day or anything like that. But he's going to answer, right? And it may be a quick conversation, but he'll answer. Because Christian friendships take work. They take work to keep them think about some ways that christian friendships can be tested in our world today you know marriage and families of course are wonderful things but friendships can be constrained because of marriage friendship can be constrained because of families when you get married and and you have children you have to intentionally work to keep your friendships i have two best friends growing up one lives in Savannah, one lives in Hilton Head now. We all grew up in Columbia. Somehow we all live at the coast. I don't know how that's possible. We do. We have a little group text. We always we text each other pretty much several times a week. And when football games are on, we text each other as we watch the game. But it, it takes work. You have to respond. You have to write back no matter what we're doing. And as people grow older, as you know, people change. Some people move away for jobs, things like this. But to have really good Christian friendship, it takes work, and there's usually testing in these friendships. And we see this situation with David and Jonathan testing their friendship. Secondly, loyal Christian friendships can be strengthened. You can always have a stronger bond with your Christian friends. Verse 12, and Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the the God of Israel, be witness, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? He says, I, I will let you know if, he's, if he is well disposed. Verse 13, but should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I might not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant again with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. So they make another covenant between them and the Lord. And they said that whoever David's enemies are, may the Lord take vengeance toward them. Well, Jonathan's own father is his enemy. This is a huge test in their friendship 
but it's strengthened now. They make another covenant in this, in this, in this time of testing. They make another covenant together, another loyal bond. Verse 17, and Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. They had this brotherly love together, this Christian uniting, where they would die for each other. This is the strength of their friendship. We always have opportunities to strengthen our Christian friendships. Now, each year we have our Halloween festival that we help out with, uh, and Colby had some pictures on there we showed today. And but we help out with the town, give away all these hot dogs and things. And I, and I love being able to go out there and serve the community. I love to go out there and, and be able to, and even in the drive-thru, I was able to talk to all the children and make jokes and stuff and, 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 and just see what they're wearing and everything and, and then just be, just be loving to them. But another reason I enjoy the festival is I get to serve with 20 or 30 of my Christian brothers and sisters, my, my friends, you know. Every year, I get, I, get, I get to serve. And it only happens once a year for a few hours. But each year, it's another opportunity to serve alongside other Christians and, and just reconnect about things and get to know them better and, 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 and just enjoy serving together. But you have to put it to work. You have to do it. And it strengthens. That's why there are so many natural rhythms in church life where you can strengthen Christian relationships. And then when you back out of church life, those relationships are going to weaken because you're not together. You're not serving together. You're not worshiping together. You know, we do things all throughout the week to do this. You know, our deacons uh, take meals to our homebound every week. And they often comment on how it strengthens their relationships with those people that they serve towards. It's a great way to do this. Loyal Christian friendships can be strengthened. And many times this happens as we get involved in our church community, even as we serve the community. Third, loyal Christian friendships can be demonstrated. And they need to be demonstrated. Look at verse 18. Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. This is the plan. They're making here. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a boy saying, go find the arrows. And if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them, then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. He said, listen, I'm going to fire these arrows, and if they're, if they're, if they're on this side, I'm going to yell out to the boy, they're, they're close, you're fine, go get them. But he's really speaking to David. And if he sends them over this way where they're too far, they're going to say, oh, the arrows are too far. Don't worry about it. You need to go. Go ahead. He's really talking to David, not the little boy. So he's worked out this plan where he can communicate with David when he's really communicating with this little boy. And it's all about where the arrows land because, of course, Jonathan's shooting the arrows, so he knows how to make them land where they need to land. So they make this plan to help save David 
And in so doing, Jonathan demonstrates. He doesn't just say they're friends. They didn't just make a covenant together. He demonstrates, here is how you know our friendship is true. This is what we're going to do. You know, demonstrates this. We demonstrate this. We have chances to demonstrate this all the time. You know, I've had it demonstrated to me a lot in the last month or two. You know, when a deacon friend brings over soup to my house when I'm sick. When church members bring over food when I'm not feeling well. Our, our children are doing, not doing well. There's pastor appreciation gifts, things like this. Just ask each other how we're doing. Serving each other. There's opportunities to strengthen your friendship. When you, when you help others in need, especially your friends, your Christian brothers and sisters, that is where your, your relationships are strengthened. And there's plenty of opportunities to demonstrate and reaffirm your Christian love for each other. Number four, loyal Christian friendships also, however, can be risky. Loyal Christian friendships can be risky. Look at verse 24. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. And the king sat on a seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. It was a little table, there were four chairs, and there was Saul and Abner and Jonathan and David, and one was empty. Do you think Saul would notice? You know, you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. That's what Saul's doing. David's right there. Imagine the awkwardness in the room. The servants are bringing their food, they're eating. Abner eats. And Jonathan eats. And King eats. And David's place is sitting there. They put food on the plate, they bring him drinks, he's just sitting there. No David. Well, he didn't say anything the first night. Three night feast. Didn't say anything. Verse 26. Saul didn't say anything that day. He said, you know, something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. Jewish law meant that for meals to take place, these feasts, each person had to be ceremonially clean. A lot of times there's washing of hands and things like this. If they had been around a dead body or something like this, or if they had been exposed to uh, some type of disease, we understand what exposure is like now, don't we, right? If if they've been exposed to some type of disease, they literally would have to quarantine themselves. So he's thinking, well, maybe he's been exposed to something, he's unclean, maybe that's why he's not here, but there was a whole process of becoming clean. You can go and wash, and the priests will make you clean, and all this kind of stuff. So he was hoping that this was the reason for David's absence. But, verse 27, but on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty still. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? So now he wants to know why. Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away 
and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Now, Jonathan knew when his father would ask him this, he knew the risk in this answer. He could have said, Father, he's scared you're going to kill him. Don't kill him. <laughs> and could have given him up and saved his own neck. But he sticks to the plan that they made. He was putting himself at risk for the loyalty of his friend in the faith. And then Saul reacted exactly like Jonathan knew he would. Verse 30, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. It's like saying, are you just like your mom? That's what he's saying. You ever had your parents say that to you? That's just like your dad. You're just like your mom. Jonathan's like, I love my mom. <laughs> Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? What's Saul doing? He's, he's validating himself by blaming Jonathan's mother. Oh, you're just like your mother in a negative way. And he makes Jonathan feel bad about himself for choosing loyalty to another family. How could you do that? How could you do that? He, he makes them feel guilty. You know, parents can do that to their children, can't they? You've been in that church all the time. I don't ever see you anymore. All you're over at church, church, church. <laughs> it's a very real issue if you're going to have a loyal Christian friendship. You know, you have more in common with your Christian friends who are not a part of your immediate family than you have with your family who do not know Jesus. You just do. You have more in common. I have more in common with you in here today than I do than some of my lost extended family members. There may be a time where an unsaved family member accuses you of being more loyal to your God or Jesus or your church or your church family to them. They may even decide to cut you off from the family because of your faith decision. So there's always a level of risk in choosing loyal Christian friendships. But as we're going to see, that risk is worth it. Verse 31, Saul continues, For as long as the son of Jesse, that's David, lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Saul says, he says, because of this, you will never be king, Jonathan. As long as David lives, you'll never be king. Even though he was next in line. And he threatens him for that. He says, if you don't bring me to, him to me, it'll never happen. Now think about what Jonathan could do at that point. Well, Saul doesn't know that Jonathan knows that Saul is crazy. And that he's made a strong covenant with David. So Jonathan says, verse 32, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. 
So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Risky decision that almost cost Jonathan his life there in that small room with awkward Abner in the corner watching everything. Verse 34, and Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month where he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. There's sometimes there's a tremendous amount of risk in choosing loyal Christian friendships. Number five, loyal Christian friendships can be costly. Costly. Verse 35, in the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and met, met with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run, find the arrows that I shoot. Now again, Jonathan knows the plan. Shoot over here, David's safe. Shoot over here, David needs to leave. But Jonathan knows the answer now. He knows that David's not safe. So I can see him going out there just downtrodden, sad. And the boy came to the place of the arrow, verse 37, that Jonathan had shot. Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. And that was the, that was the sign to David. Don't come back. Saul's still trying to kill you. This was the code. So the boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, verse 39. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from behind the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed one another and wept with one another. And David weeping the most. They knew this would be the last time that they would probably ever see one another. He was either going to be killed or exiled. And so they had this emotional time when they know they're leaving each other. Verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and be between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. There's a cost many times to loyal Christian friendships because there's a cost in following Jesus. There's a cost to your salvation. Lord sent Jesus to this earth to take away the sins of those that would trust in him, that would be repentant. But it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus agony and pain. It cost him everything so we could be saved. And he was nailed on that cross. He was stuck with a spear. He was spat at. His beard was ripped out. All these things, a crown of thorns on his head, all because he loved us enough. And there's a covenant with us to where if we place our faith in Jesus, we will be saved. But it cost Jesus his life. And sometimes following Jesus might cost us parts of ours. 
Sometimes we might not be able to come back. We might have to go because the arrow fell on the other side. But following Jesus is worth any type of cost we can experience because in following Christ, not only are we new people, nor only do we have an abundant life, but we will have an eternal life in heaven forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage you've given us today, this scripture. As we close our time together, we thank you that just by seeing the nature of Christian relationships, we can see the nature of your relationship with us. The nature of, of your love for us, and that's how we are to treat each other, to love each other, Father. If there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, that they would do so today, this, this Reformation Sunday. That they would make reform in their life. And Lord, all of us need reform each day. Show each and every one of us today where we can turn from our sins and follow you, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful picture of true Christian fellowship that you've given us in your scripture, where they were united in a covenant under you. And we thank you that in our church we have the opportunities for those meaningful friendships to exist. Lord, let us not waste those opportunities. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.